Kia ora, this is Newswell, I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. Nationals promising to create tougher sentences for gang members, but is there any evidence it'll actually help reduce crime? Also, why Russia is moving nuclear weapons into neighbouring countries and what that might mean for the war in Ukraine. It could be New Zealand's inventing Anna, the curious case of Coralie Collins Anan, and how a stuff reporter put the pieces of her fabricated life together. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Well, the National Party is promising to create tougher sentences for gang members by adding gang membership as an aggravating factor when handing down a sentence for an offence. So what's the evidence it'll actually have the desired impact? With us now is National's Justice Spokesperson Paul Goldsmith. Kia ora, Paul. Kia ora. Uh, what are you trying to achieve here? Oh, well, we want to keep our communities uh, safer uh, and we want to... Um, uh, not have the sorts of situations that we saw last week in Oportiki where um, you know, kids missed out on a week of education because of the intimidation uh, factor of gangs. And that, I suppose, is just a sort of a symptom of a broader issue that we've seen over the past uh, few years with a 66% increase in gang membership uh, growing faster and recruiting faster than the police. And people are fearful. And so uh, we need to have a clear message uh, to the gangs uh, to get um, uh, to restore our law and order. Paul, isn't being a gang member already an aggravating factor? Uh, we've got to organise crime as, a, as an aggravating factor if it's specifically related to the crime. Uh, and the point we're making, we're taking the next step, taking up another notch, which is to say, actually, no, if you're a member of a gang, it uh, doesn't matter what the crime is, uh, it'll be an aggravating factor that you're a member of a gang because of the intimidation factor that they have in society as a whole. So if a gang member gets busted speeding, they're going to get a harsher sentence than I would? Well, it'll be an ag- the fact that they're a gang member, it will be an aggravated factor. Uh, uh, factor not 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 when you have an automatic uh, eighty dollar fine for speeding, uh, but if you're prosecuted for a crime. So is it is it sort of like let the punishment fit the criminal rather than the crime? Uh, no, it's it's recognising the, uh, the 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 impact that of gangs in our communities and the intimidatory factor that they have, and the fact that people fear of uh, reprisals and uh, the very uh, negative impact they're having across our communities. Uh, And we're saying, actually, what you've had a government at the moment whose only uh, target in the justice sector is to reduce the prison population by 30%. uh, And their message to gangs has been very mixed. And so we've got to change that message. And uh, this is one one part of doing that. Do we have evidence that tougher sentences on gang members work? Uh, Well, we have evidence that it doesn't work. Uh, uh, What doesn't work is the current situation where um, you you, you sort of uh, uh, focus almost exclusively on the needs of the perpetrators of crime uh, and not on the victims. We're focused on the victims and keeping the community safe. Uh, And so, um, yes, you know, prisons doesn't solve every problem uh, whatsoever, but it does... uh, if, 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 a, if a repeat violent offender is in prison, they're less able to commit uh, new crimes and create new victims. And so it's appropriate uh, uh, for serious crimes. So there's no evidence that a policy like this would work? Oh, well, well uh, the interesting thing is actually in the context of the three strikes legislation, we had, um, for example, we had uh, the, the Minister of Justice and a whole bunch of people say the evidence is that it didn't work. 
Uh, and so we went along to the select committee and all the, the, the justice officials uh, went through all the evidence and they concluded that there was no evidence either way, uh, whether it worked or not. Uh, and actually, it's a fair um, thing that New Zealanders, um, the overall uh, research basis to a lot of what happens in our justice sector is quite thin. Uh, but we work on the very simple assumption uh, that if people are doing serious crimes in our community, uh, and if gangs have, 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 have such an intimidatory factor that uh, a tangi in Opatiki can lead to schools being closed for a week, uh, that's clear evidence of real intimidation, uh, that that's not the way of life that we want for New Zealanders, and we need to send a stronger and clearer message. You bring up the three strikes policy and the repeal of that. Well, you know, one of the reasons that that happened is that there was evidence that that led to manifestly unjust outcomes. You can't point to any specific evidence that this is going to bring crime down. Uh, how is this not just a populist gut reaction play for, for, for people who are worried? How is this not just scaremongering? Well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd suggest if you went and talked, uh, as we do on regular, current, uh, regular, you know, frequently to the victims of crime, uh, retail crime, uh, people who are frightened in their shops, uh, frightened of uh, ram roads. If you speak to people who have been on the on the receiving end of crime, I think they'd be kind of insulted to think that uh, actually standing up for consequences for crime and clear message around uh, criminality and society's uh, abhorrence of it, uh, I, I think they'd be. I think you'd find that people would be pretty offended by that. Actually, what we do need to have. Do you think that those people think that this would help solve their issues? Uh, every little piece on its own um, won't make the, the difference. It's part, but it's part of the overall package. So there's about seven or eight levers we have to pull around gangs. And so uh, late last year, we talked about uh, the need to uh, uh, ban gang patches in public places, uh, bring in um, uh, the ability for police to disperse large groups uh, who are intimidating the public, uh, have non-consorting orders where, where people have been connected with uh, gangs, and also the ability to have warrantless search powers when uh, police suspect that they have firearms. So that, that, that's a, a whole bunch of uh, things. Uh, this legislation here, to, or this proposal here today, will make a, a difference. Uh, and then more fundamentally, sending a, a, a core message to the justice sector that our priority is not to reduce the prison population, irrespective of what's going on, but actually to focus on reducing the number of victims of crime. That's our focus, and that, I think, should be the appropriate focus of any justice system. Isn't one of the core causes of crime stuffing people into prison rather than using rehabilitative techniques outside of it? Uh, well, no, I, I don't buy that uh, notion. Uh, that that um, uh, uh, Yes, prisons are not nice places. Yes, we, it's not our goal in life to have a massive increase in the prison population. Uh, but, it, it, but it's certainly not our goal, the reverse, which is to say that, you know, irrespective of what's going on, where there's been a massive increase and uh, there's been a significant increase in violent crime, we're going to reduce the prison population uh, come hell or high waters. Uh, and, and so that's what the government's done. We don't agree with that. And we think that has led to uh, less safer communities. And I think everybody looking around can see that. And I, I reject any idea that it's some kind, some kind of scaremongering. It's the reality. People see it, they know it, and they've experienced it. How are you going to me measure success here? Well, uh, ultimately, the, 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 the ultimate measure of success in the justice sector is a reduction in the number of, uh, of victims of crime. That's, that's, that's where our focus should be. Uh, and uh, it's tough. 
and it's not going to be easy, and it never is. Uh, but uh, you know, over the last two or three decades, there was a reduction in, in the, the victims of crime. Uh, and then in the last few years, there's been an uptick. And, the, and, and there's a global context for that as well. Uh, it's, it's, quite, it's been uh, the case in a number of countries, and that's why uh, we think that, uh, that the pendulum has swung a little bit too far in, in favour of um, uh, you know, almost focusing exclusively on the needs of the perpetrators of crime. Uh, and forgetting the needs of uh, law-abiding citizens to be able to live in peace and tranquility and not live in fear. Interesting stuff. Paul Goldsmith, thanks very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about Dr. Journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Actually, Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. So, in news no one wants to hear, Russia is planning to deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, which of course neighbours Ukraine and has a very pro-Kremlin government run by hard man president Alexander Lukashenko. If it happens, it would be the first time Russia has done this since the Soviet Union collapse in 1991. Emil Donovan is going to explain all of this to us, of course. Why is this happening? It's everybody's fault except Russia, naturally, according to Vladimir Putin. He made the announcement at the end of uh, an interview with the state TV journalist in Russia. He said the decision was sparked by Britain's decision to supply depleted uranium munitions to Ukraine. Uh, the US is, is also doing something similar. Uh, Belarus is allied to Russia. Uh, Belarus is where the weapons will end up. And it echoed that message. It says it's a result of the West's aggressive policy and is designed to make them think before they escalate anything, which is great rhetoric to hear, isn't it? <laughs> Do we know when any of this is actually going to happen? No, that's a bit murky. Um, info coming out of Russia is not that reliable. It says the Russia, that is, says the storage facility will be finished in early July and they will be sent there once that's done. The Belarusian president, Lukashenko, has said the weapons were already on the move and his country's already started taking deliveries. Mm. Uh, and in a kind of weirdly grim, like, Oprah moment. He said there would be uh, nuclear weapons for everyone. You get nuclear weapons. You get nuclear weapons. Uh, who joins the Russia-Belarus alliance? That's an interesting incentive, isn't it? So if they're in Belarus, who's controlling them? Well, Putin said that Russia would retain control of them, and it is worth noting that the U.S., maintains a tactical nuclear presence on continental Europe. It has done since the the 50s uh, with bases in Belgium and the Netherlands and Germany, Italy, Turkey as well. So what are the, what responses have we seen here from the US and NATO? Well, you'll be unsurprised to hear that US has criticised Putin's nuclear deployment but has said it has no intention of altering its posture on strategic nuclear weapons and uh, has also said it's not seen any signs Russia's preparing to use a nuclear weapon. The NATO General Secretary Jens Stoltenberg said on April the 18th that Putin's decision was irresponsible. Uh, so, yeah, look, this is maybe, it might just be posturing, but uh, even when, if it's even if it's posturing, it's posturing around nuclear weapons, which is... Unsafe. Not fun. It's just unsafe. Yeah, yeah. Don't play with uranium. 
please. We're still going to talk about the woman who could be New Zealand's Anna Delvey. This story is wild and chock full of alleged lies and thefts. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, do chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find the pod as well. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Now, normally we would be telling you right now who won Fun Fact Friday, the Fun Fact Friday champion. Uh, But this week, if you want to know, you're going to have to do something a bit different. You're going to have to go onto our Instagram page where we will have the result uploaded there instead. You can find us newsable in You can find us at Newsable NZ. And you can also get in touch with us on there if you'd like. And uh, if you want to go old school, you can send us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz. But let's turn now to the incredible story that came out over the weekend. People are referring to this as New Zealand's very own Anna Delvey, uh, the fake Russian heiress. Yeah, this story is all about Coralie Collins Anan, or rather what and who Coralie Collins Anan isn't. We know she's a 23-year-old Kiwi. She's living in the US. She was at least at one point a law student, but she's also accused of spinning a web of lies about her experience and is also facing questions over missing money. Stuff's national correspondent Steve Kilgallen's been investigating all of this and he joins us now to chat. Kia ora. G'day, how are you going? Tell us who this woman is and what she what she's done or rather not done, I guess. She's got a very interesting backstory, um, which uh, nobody disputes it's true. She came from a, a really tough upbringing. Her mother, um, by her own admission, was a, a drug dealer for the Mongol mob. Um, she ends up being fostered out um, and still says she has quite a fragile relationship with her family. Uh, went to law school, originally at Auckland, then at AUT. Um, and I think it's then when the wheels start to fall off for her. So, um, up to then, it's a sort of a rags to riches story, I guess. Um, and the way she, the way she puts it, you know, she just struggled to sort of keep up with things in that year. Um, and so she ends up getting kicked out of AUT for not doing the work. And then there's the issue of this disputed money, which she um, took from the accounts of the AUT Mooting Society, which, as I understand, is like a sort of pretend court thing for trainee lawyers. Um, and then there's a whole lot of other sort of wild sort of side allegations um, and allegedly a book deal with Penguin and a Netflix documentary. You've spoken to her. What does she have to say about all of this, all of these lies that she's spun and people are now calling her out on? So initially we had quite a strange conversation where I'd say, I hear you've done such and such and she'd go, yes, that's right. And I'd say, but then I've spoken to these people and they say you haven't. And we, we sort of did that dance for a few minutes and then there was sort of various exchanges about whether she'd talk or not. Um, quite bizarrely, she suggested I send questions to Jake Besant, who you might remember was a 
a one-time National Party candidate who had to stand down in unusual circumstances. And then in the end, she rang me and, and said, I've decided to talk to you against the advice of my publicity team, which I found unusual that she'd have a publicity <laughs> team. Um, and, um, and she basically, to her credit, owned up to pretty much everything. There was a few things she pushed back on. Um, there's a few things I think perhaps she's right on, but the majority of the, the allegations she, she put her hands up to. Um, so... I guess she's got an opportunity now to not do it anymore. She fooled some some really smart people here. Like, did you did you get a glint of that sort of charisma and, yeah. and magnetism? I think there's a skill set to. I mean, I spend quite a lot of my working time chasing fraudsters and bad employers and so on and so on. And, and quite a lot of them have this same mm-hmm. set of characteristics. It's just a different setting, right, that she's in. So, which made it made it interesting. But yeah, I recognised in her, what I've seen in lots of other people I've written about. Steve Kilgallen, thank you for bringing us my favourite story of 2023. Thanks. That's Newsball for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Have a good one. Have a great one. If you liked listening to this pod... Help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.